Behind the Shades. Linda, hello. How are you today? I am amazing. I'm so excited to be here. I feel like we're covering the whole wide world, right? From the south to the north. I know, I know. We're all we've been around the world. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like we're traveling everywhere virtually a yeah. little bit until we do it in person or at least real time. So what have you been up to? What have I been up to? So actually, about five minutes before I came on here tonight, <clears throat> our brand new book, uh, which is hidden behind me. Uh, Miracles with Mommy Linda just went live on Amazon. So we're very, very excited. It's full of miracles that we have actually been a part of uh, from healing the sick to casting out demons to raising the dead. So it's really, really exciting. And with everything that's going on around the world right now with the, all of the revivals, it's kind of like right on time. Perfect. Perfect. So the book is obviously so important to you. <laughs> and it's something that you really, really want to do. So you said it's called Mommy Miracles, Miracles with, Mommy. with Mommy Linda. Yeah, which is Mommy kind of Linda. Yeah, I never wanted to be a mom. Now I got 12 kids and I'm responsible for 5,000 kids in Haiti. Isn't that funny? God is hilarious. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, he he puts you where you're needed. And maybe in the lives of all these children, that's where Linda, Mommy Linda, needed yeah. to be. So funny. Yeah. Even when, now when I, well, I mean, I can't go now because the country is in complete civil unrest, but typically when I get off the plane at the airport in Haiti, that's all I hear is mommy Linda, mommy Linda. And I'm like, oh, that's so just, why? I can't believe it. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. The book, we're very, very excited about the book. We have, um, I think four, three or four books out um, that tell our story of uh, what we do and why we do what we do. And it's, again, not anything that we ever planned. It's all, all what God wanted, not what we wanted. So very interesting. So take us through it a little bit. How did you get started writing this book and what does this book mean to you? Yeah. So the latest book, Miracles, uh, I I didn't even know miracles still existed or still happened. I thought those were like fairy tales that were in the Bible. So uh, it was very interesting when we brought... 30 children from one of our orphanages in Haiti here to the United States, they came as the Haitian Orphan Children's Choir. And so we traveled from, uh, I think, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, all the way up to the White House, actually, and sang up, up and down the East Coast. And basically, they just messed people up. <laughs> I mean, really messed people up. It was kind of like a reverse mission trip, right? A lot of people just thought they were coming to uh, see a bunch of little kids sing and then when they heard their story about how they had lost their families in the devastating earthquake in Haiti, and then how they they just brought so much joy, right? Their circumstances stunk. They, they didn't have any material things to be grateful for. And yet they had a joy that people in America just didn't have. And so it was kind of confusing for people. So anyways, during that tour, oh my goodness, we, and this is in the last book, Choir of Angels. It talks about the demonic realm that we ran into because unbeknownst to us, when we brought those kids here, we had four children in that choir who had been raised up to be uh, voodoo princesses. <laughs> That'll just shock you. And so uh, that, which is very interesting how that all worked out, uh, but we were dealing with curses that had been placed on us. We were There were a lot of people in Haiti that were very unhappy that we had Number one, that we had brought the kids instead of them 
here to America. And number two, that we were here to share about Jesus. And so they did everything they could uh, to make sure that it was a complete failure, which then caused me to fight back. And so I had to learn how to fight back because, I mean, you know, we have kids flipping, flipping out in demonic manifestations on the floor of the bus and I'm taking them to the hospital and to neurologists. And, you know, one thing I learned is there is not a medical cure. You can't medicate a spiritual problem. <laughs> I mean, you can, but it doesn't work. And so um, in my search for reaching out to find, I mean, and that's the other thing, you know, with, with my girlfriends, I couldn't just run to Starbucks and say, girl, you know how to cast out a demon? Because we got these chicks, they're flipping our grown men up against the wall and uh, throwing things around. And, you know, and I mean, my friends were like, dude, what are you talking about? They wouldn't even talk to me anymore. It reminds me of that scene on, um, what is that movie? Blindside. I don't know if you've ever seen that when she's in the restaurant with all the real fancy dressed up women and she's taking in the guy and she says it, it was kind of like that same scenario. So I was forced to, I mean, Terry, we, we went to so many different people to say, help us. How do we deal with this? What do we do? And everybody just kept pulling out John 316 and saying that they were going to lead them to Jesus. And then if they had Jesus, then they wouldn't be demonically possessed or have all of these things. So very, very long story short, which again, that whole story is in choir of angels. I learned how to cast out demons, heal the sick and raise the dead because I couldn't find anybody else to do it. It's kind of put in a bad spot and I was traveling up and down the road with these girls. I mean, they're running through cars. They're becoming invisible. They're trying to jump off buses. They're levitating in the back of the bus. It was, it was the most insane thing I've ever seen. And so from that experience, I then learned that God really, God really is a miracle worker. And pretty much he's just looking in second Chronicles. It tells us that his eyes are roaming the earth, searching for a heart that is turned toward him that he can use. And so I became that. And um, God has allowed me to see the lame walk, the blind to see just unbelievable, unbelievable miracles. Um, and it's just, so that's what we shared in this, this latest book, it's 37. There are 37 miracles recorded in the new Testament that Jesus was, uh, in that Jesus was involved in that Jesus did. And so we have 37 miracles in this book. And then just like the Bible says, there were so many things that Jesus did that the, the book couldn't contain them all. We we've had, we had, we had to choose which miracles to include. So we're going to come out with at the end of the year, a devotion book that will have a miracle for every single week. And then uh, walk you through what it looks like to become involved in the real supernatural, not tarot cards, not crystals, not yoga, not new age religion but what the Bible actually says. So that's when you looked at your, when you looked at your life, did you ever think Linda, like I'm going to see a whole bunch of crazy stuff at this point in my life. Like you just described, was that something that was even on your radar growing no, up? No, my husband and I were um, real estate investors. So we were like the Chip and Joanna Gaines of Atlanta before there was a Chip and Joanna Gaines. We used to flip houses. Um, and my goal prior to that was I was going to go to law school and become a lawyer and then a judge. And I was going to take Sandra Day O'Connor's place as a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> so nowhere. And don't forget, I never wanted any kids. Matter of fact, our first book, Peanut Butter Crackers and Flip Flops, starts out with my, my, our first date 
was at the Embassy Suites Hotel, this really, really nice restaurant with white tablecloths, candles. A little girl came running through the restaurant with a Barbie doll, a naked Barbie doll shaking it. And I literally looked at my now husband and I said, I don't know about you, but I don't want any of them. And we shook hands. We made a deal about it. And so, no, I never thought I would. Again, I didn't believe that. I, I was like most everyone I talked to today. Nobody believes that miracles happen. I mean, they, they, you know what, you know what, we use the word so flippantly. It's like, oh, it's a miracle. I got to work on time. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that's interesting. Um, So we almost blaspheme about it. We almost uh, make a joke about it Uh, when really and truly the demonic realm is sure working their side of it and they're taking our kids (laughs) and they're, you know, we're putting out their we're in competition with movies like Harry Potter, the newest one that just came out in America is Megan. And we are losing an entire generation. Even the, even these huge revivals that are taking place in America just this past week with the Gen Z, uh, with the, this new generation, they're confused because they're so mixed in with what's going on in the supernatural. They're so mixed in. Because, you know, and you know what the, what the big deal is about the supernatural? is God made us with a hole in our heart. He made us to crave him. And so when we don't crave him, we go after whatever it is, whatever it is, pornography, sin, um, affairs, lust, trans, whatever it is, we go after it and try to fill it. And so right now, that generation, when they go to church or if they go to church, they don't see the power of the most high God. You know, very, very seldom do you see demons cast out or very seldom do you see people whose eyes are blind and can come to a church and get that deliverance or that healing, right? So instead, they're going where they are seeing things that work with Ouija boards, with all of these things that have nothing to do with Jesus. So I think that the fact is, is that that hole that we were given in our heart that was made to be filled with the most high God, we as people who profess to be Christians, we need to understand what the Bible says. We need to realize that Jesus said, look, guys, I got to go, but don't worry, because when I leave, I'm going to send somebody else that's going to be your comforter. He's going to be your guide. And also when I go, you're going to be able to do not only what I did, but you're going to be able to do greater things than I did. And as Christians, we're it's like we're leaving money on the table in a deal. How did you, how did you strengthen your faith? Because you mentioned the hole in the heart, right? That many of us probably do have, because I remember a time, Linda, where I was growing up, I was searching, I was trying to figure out how am I going to navigate through this world? Even though I grew up in a very religious household, you know, we had the Saturday, we had the Sundays, things like that. So I was blessed and fortunate to have that hole fill, even though I may have stopped later on and then I had to reclaim it. How did you fill that hole in your heart? And how can maybe others do it too? Yeah, me too. My dad was the music director. My mom was the piano player. I mean, if they had a fight at home, they took it out in the middle of church. He would call one hymn number. She'd play another. (laughs) I mean, you know, so I I was in church every time the doors were open. um, So I get that. But I, I don't, what I don't understand is how I could have been in church so much and not read the book of Acts or not understood that it, it, it is acts of faith. So bottom line, 
no question about it. When my, when my faith changed was because I had to, because like I told you with those kids, I, I didn't have an option. I had to figure out what did I really believe? Uh, because when people told me that there was no medical cure or medical answer for what was happening, I had to figure out what was going on. And so I started really not only reading the Bible, but really reading the Bible. And so, you know, because what was happening with us had also happened in the Bible. I mean, over and over, there were people coming and saying, hey, my kid's throwing himself in the fire and he's throwing himself in the water and he's, throwing, you know, or what are we what are we supposed to do? And and so I had to figure it out. And so the answer to the question is this. The number one, re God tells us in John 15, you remain in me. My words remain in you. Ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Now, either the Bible is true or it's not. So the question then becomes, if I'm asking for something, why am I not getting it? And then you go through the word and it just tells us over and over, right? You forgive others. I'm going to forgive you the way you forgive others. So if you're not going to forgive, I'm really not, I'm really not interested in listening. God's just not interested, right? He tells us if you're at the altar and you've got something that you're trying to give to me, but you know, you either you've got something against somebody or somebody's got something against you, you need to go make it right. But the two things I think, which are the reason that our prayers are not answered is because number one, we don't want to forgive. I mean, my husband and I, as part of our ministry, we do marriage counseling. And we've literally had people sit on that counseling couch and my husband will say, you know, you need to forgive, blah, blah. And, you know, people will just look him straight in the eye and say, look, if if me going to heaven depends on forgiving him, I'd rather die and go to hell. I'm not doing it. And, you know, we we hear that and it's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that. But we do it all the time. We do. We don't say it, but we live it. And then the second reason that I think that people don't see miracles and their prayers are not answered is because they don't believe. They don't believe. They pray for something, but they don't believe that God's going to give it to them. And they move forward. They, matter of fact, most people, as soon as they say amen, move right forward with their plan B. <laughs> of, you know, okay, I'm not going to, I know God's not going to heal me. So I'm going to go ahead and do this. Or I know God's not going to reconcile the marriage. So I'm going to go ahead and get the attorney. I know God, you know, we just, we don't believe. Because God says, if you have faith, how big? The size of a mustard seed. You can tell this mountain to move and it'll move. But again, we just, we, we leave it up. We leave all the extra on the table. And I think the, the majority of people who profess to be Christian, we need believing believers. We don't have very many believing believers. Um, you know, we, in America, it's, you know, raise your hand if you want Jesus. Really? I mean, that nobody needs to come forward. Nobody needs to know. Just raise your hand and repeat this after me. I think we've got a lot of deception going on for people who are going to be very surprised. I want to touch on the first of those two items that you mentioned, forgiveness. Okay. Why do you think that is a difficult thing for so many people to do, especially when it comes to relationships? As you mentioned, marriage counseling, and they say that if I have a choice, between forgiving this person and having what is promised to me or not forgiving and dying, I'd rather choose death and be not forgiven. Yeah, because we're, we're not full of the Holy Spirit. So there, you, there's two options. In Galatians 5, it tells us you can either walk in the flesh or you can walk in the spirit. And if you walk in the flesh, 
You're going to be drunk. You're going to be at wild parties. You're going to, you're not going to forgive. You're going to be full of outbursts of anger, fits of rage. I mean, it's kind of a checklist there if you read down through Galatians 5. And then it says, but if you walk in the spirit, then you will have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so the reason that we don't want to forgive, we, you know, you can't forgive in your own. You have to have the power of the Holy Spirit for the majority of things that you have to forgive. Nobody wants to forgive a spouse that has killed or destroyed or uh, ruined uh, a relationship. You know, I mean, most of us don't even want to forgive the person that pulls out in front of us on traffic on the interstate, Right. So it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's living inside of you. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you're not going to forgive. But when you're, and it's so interesting because we don't mind listening to the demonic spirits, right? We don't mind listening to you're no good, you're worthless, you're depressed, you're full of anxiety, uh, your marriage is no good, nobody loves you, you're worthless. We don't mind listening to that. But we don't want to listen to, no, you're a child of mine. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Just do what I'm asking you to. We don't want to listen to that. We ch- we make that choice to listen to the demonic voices, but not the, not God's, not the Holy Spirit, right? There's the Holy Spirit and the demonic spirits. So I think the reason people don't, don't and can't and won't forgive is because they want to live in their flesh. They want to do what they want to do when they want to do it, how they want to do it. And you know, forget you, God, because I'm, I'm not. And that's, it's so simple because once you have the Holy Spirit in you and you're walking, you know, not, not just that you have the Holy Spirit. So you'll go to heaven when you die, but literally have the Holy Spirit so that every step you take, every, every time your foot lifts up and goes to the next step in every moment, you can allow that Holy Spirit. I call it like a, um, a flapper almost like we need a remote control that went that just because you think it doesn't mean you have to say it. And also the majority of the time, the most of the thoughts that we have aren't ours just because we think it doesn't mean we have to, that we have to operate on that. That's where we are told to take our thoughts captive. But I a hundred percent believe that the reason is, is because we've qu- even if we have made Jesus the Lord of our life and the Holy spirit has come in, we've quenched it. We've quenched it in so many ways that a lot of us can't even hear that voice. We can't, uh, we don't want to, op- and we don't know the word of God. That's, that's another part. I, as I mentioned, I grew up around that and I even gave like Bible talks and I was really big in the congregation. I loved it. It made me realize that I can do things like this, speak to someone like Linda, have these conversations, lots of energy, and we are just having the time of our lives. Right. And then I had to take a little bit of a shift because someone came to me one day and they said, Terrain, you know what? It sounds very nice. God is loving Jesus and all this stuff, but I don't believe in the religion. And then I took a step back and I said, hmm, I'm going to have to reach this person in a different way. I took the teachings that I had and I applied it to a more what we would call secular view. And I said, hey, what is that you want out of life? Don't you want happiness? Don't you want to be loved? Don't you want to be fulfilled? Don't you want to be at peace? And they said, yes, that's exactly what we're teaching. Forget what you heard. Forget what you've seen. Forget all the bad things that are being done within 
the walls of the congregation. We need people, and Linda, you touched on this, we need believing believers, meaning that everything that we do, we do in the name of. Everything that we say, we do in the name of. So when you counter people that say, Linda, you look very nice, you're very well-spoken, you have lots of energy, but they say, I don't know if it's for me. How do you reach those people? Like maybe I was put in the position when I had to reach them as well. Yeah. Well, the the bottom line is this. I mean, I told you that we work a lot in Haiti and in Haiti, what people need is Jesus and jobs. That's what they need. And in America, what people need is Jesus and jobs. I mean, really and truly. So it, it does not matter what the problem is everybody needs Jesus. And the reason they need them is because he's the one that created them, right? That, that's where it comes from. So when people say that they don't believe in religion or they're not, they're not, they don't want to go to church because they know somebody that does go to church, I say, girlfriend, I'm right there with you. I mean, you know, just because you're in a car, I mean, just because you're in a garage, if you're standing in a garage, that doesn't mean you're a car, right? And just because you're in a church does not mean you're a Christian. But, you know, if I have a bad meal at a restaurant, it doesn't mean I'm never going out to eat again. So the the truth of the matter is Jesus has a lot of bad representatives. I mean, I used to own a day spa and the name of my day spa was Linda's Day Spa. We all had t-shirts that said Linda's Day Spa. And I used to tell my girls, when you leave here, if you're going to go do something you shouldn't do or run your mouth in a way you don't need to run your mouth, take the shirt off, (laughs) Put, put something else on, right? And I can't help but think that so many times God is like, oh, I hope they don't tell anybody they're a Christian or boy, whenever they leave church this Sunday, I hope they don't go anywhere dressed like that because people are going to know. I mean, he's got a lot of bad reps, a lot of bad sales reps. He does. Right. And so I really, when people say it's not for me because of blah, blah, I usually agree with them because I do agree that there are, I mean, in religion, I don't want to, I don't want religion either. I mean, religion stinks. I'm a hundred percent with you on that. It's all about the relationship. I don't want to follow a bunch of rules either. Um, and, and so pretty much when I'm counseling with people, I just get down and dirty with them on their level, on exactly where they're at. And 95% of the time, I agree with them. Um, you know, and you, ha- you have to also remember, church is, is like a hospital. I think a lot of people think that je- there's a lot of sick people going there. And just because somebody's going to church or they say they're a Christian, you got to be really careful because here's the bad part. Do you want some hypocrite to ruin your potential relationship that with a father that's going to give you that peace? I mean, don't, don't base it. Don't base it on that. You got to, that's why you personally need to know what the word of God says. So that, that would be, that's pretty much how I handle it. I would believe that as well. And you made a very good analogy when you said uh, it's a hospital. People, I think sometimes the expectation is so high is that I've seen someone coming out of the the, the, con- the church, the mosque, the synagogue, the temple, and they're supposed to be way up here, but they're learning just like you and I, like everyone else. They're going to fall like everyone else. Mm-hmm. But the difference I think between people like that and so many others is that when they fall, there's someone like you and I, or there's, or maybe even a family member or someone that shares their um, belief, helping them pick themselves up and say, Hey, dust yourself off. We got this together. Yeah. 
You got you to right. persevere. I mean, the Bible talks over and over and over about perseverance and endurance, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit is a comforter. So we got to know that, I mean, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. So this, this walk is going to be tough. If, if not, we wouldn't need to be continually told to endure. We wouldn't have to be told to not quit. We wouldn't have to be told that we were going to need a comforter. It's a rough world here. Satan's in charge, right? We, we were told that he is the prince of this world. So we we need all the help we can get. And the and and I think one of the most important things is, is that we we have a guidebook. The Bible just gives us so much information about the past, about the present, and about the future. So I think it would really behoove us, especially if we're going to criticize it, that maybe we should just read some of it. And uh, I think it would really, you know, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart are open, that you may be enlightened, that those scales would come off. Um, I don't think there's a better deal going than Christianity. That's all. That's that's what I would say. Take us through your work in Haiti, and let's dive into that a little bit. Um, what is the what is one of your goals that you want with all the work that you do in Haiti, and where are you taking that mission and all the positive things that you're doing? Absolutely. So my number one goal in Haiti is that we won't have to have a ministry in Haiti. <laughs> That's what I would love. I would love for the whole place to be self-sufficient. Um, and actually, right now, we have six locations in Haiti. I'm a volunteer. I'm, I don't get paid. Nobody in America gets paid. We uh, All of the funds that we raise go directly there. And we also help with widows and orphans here in America. So we've kind of already become self-sustainable just with our mission out of force because two years ago, the president of Haiti was assassinated. Uh, they came into his bedroom in his home and killed him, shot his wife while his daughter was hiding in the closet. Uh, and so since that time, I've only gone back to Haiti three times and that I didn't leave the airport just because right now they're kidnapping you, killing you or uh, even worse. Um, and we are currently under complete civil unrest. Actually, the two heads of our ministry there are currently in hiding and they are staying in hiding. We have them secluded right now until March the 9th, which is when we have our embassy appointment to try to get them out of the country. Um, so our goal, but we have everything there. We have an entire uh, Haitian-run board of directors. Uh, those six locations encompass our schools, our orphanages, our uh, churches, our vocational school, and our transition home. And we also have a neighborhood that we transition girls out of. Once they come out of our orphanage, they can go into the transition home, and then they can also purchase a home in the neighborhood. And so because we have not been able to be there... and Prior to uh, the assassination of the president, I was in Haiti two to three weeks out of every month. Uh, we were I was there with mission teams. We had interns there. We had Americans on the ground there. Uh, but because of the current situation, that can't happen. However, what that has shown us is we're running without us being there, which is great news. So our hospital, L'Hopital, is up and going. Our uh, Our schools are still going. Um, the orphanages are there. The transition home is running. At this moment, we're working to get all of the girls in our transition home here to America, uh, either on student visas or on a parole program that's just come up. So it's very exciting. Um, but that is my number one goal is that Haiti would not need us. Haiti is, Haiti is gorgeous. It is a beautiful island, but it has been jacked up. <laughs> 
And the Haitian people are some of the, I mean, I have 12 children now uh, from Haiti and um, they are remarkable. You know, it is a remarkable country full of remarkable people. And so I would love to remarkably have that island to be able to be self-sustainable again, where the corruption and the and the constant influx of funds and different things would not even be necessary. That's our goal. Do you think that at some point it'll be possible for you to expand within Haiti and maybe beyond Haiti into other parts of the world? I don't, you know, I've had that offer. We actually did work in Ukraine before, but I'm going to be honest with you. Nah, because my heart is in Haiti. Um, And, you know, part of our story that's in our book, Peanut Butter Crackers and Flip Flops, you know, my best friend was Haitian here in America. And it was after her murder that um, she was, she and her mom were in a double murder and she left behind five kids. And those five kids, I ended up with them. And that's why I went to Haiti in the first place. I was not a mission trip kind of girl. I mean, if you only knew how ridiculous it is that I'm doing what I'm doing, I I never wanted to go. I never had been on a mission trip. I'd never been out of the country to do what we ended up doing. And actually, the very first time I went to Haiti, the only reason I went was because I wanted the kids that I got to be more grateful to me. (laughs) I thought maybe if I showed them where they would have ended up, they would come back and be like, oh. Oh, mommy, Linda, thank you so much. You know, but that didn't happen. And instead God wrecked my world. So I don't know so much that I, I would rather do a lot where we are and make a big difference than to do a little in a lot of other places. And that's when we took over the orphanage in Ukraine, that's kind of what I felt like we were doing was just a little bit here and a little bit there. And I would rather do a lot and make a huge impact where we are to change lives. Five kids from your best friend who unfortunately was murdered. Yeah. Describe to us that bond that you're able to carry on your best friend's legacy through her children and be a part of those kids' journey as well. Yeah, well, so don't look at it that way because I didn't want to do it. (laughs) So actually, whenever her... uh, Whenever her dad called me and said he had found out he was terminally ill, he he had taken them in and he said, uh, you know, Linda, I need you to, you're my last phone call. He said, I've, I've, I've reached out to everybody in Haiti. I've reached out to everybody in France and um, nobody wants the kids. And I, I pretty much said, dude, you picked the wrong chick to make the last phone call to. <laughs> I'm sorry, because I don't have kids. I don't like kids. And I don't know what you think I'm going to do with your five Haitian kids. You know, um, yeah, that's not going to work. but. My husband is the one who overheard the call and basically, again, told me what the Bible said, which is James 127, that real religion that God himself, that believing believers do is to care for the widows and the orphans who are in a hot mess. So, you know, and overnight, this is the 17th day of the seventh month of the year, 2007, the family living in my house went to the size of seven with children the ages of seven to 17. It was the most difficult thing I'd ever done in my life. And I was driving a Jaguar at the time. I got to trade in my Jaguar for a minivan. (laughs) That's every girl's dream, right? Yeah, so, but God apparently knew that he needed somebody to take over this thing that we've got going on in Haiti. Um, Was not in my plans at all. And it it was extremely difficult. 
extremely difficult, but that's where we are today. You seem to enjoy it because I can see that you're getting emotional from it. <laughs> well, sometimes it's overwhelming to even think, uh, you know, I mean, in the position that I'm in in my life right now, it's it's overwhelming to think. I mean, I'm dealing with gang negotiations in the country of Haiti. Um, I have the number one prayer request from my girls in our transition home in Haiti is that I will pray that God makes them invisible so that when they leave the compound, they're not killed or kidnapped or raped. Um, it's It's just something that I would have never dreamed of that I didn't even know anybody did things like what I'm doing now. So I'm, I'm very grateful. I love my life. Um, it's very difficult. I very seldom know what anything about what I'm doing. <laughs> I mean, when, when we decided to open the hospital in Haiti, it was because someone pulled in on a, on a motorbike uh, that was in labor and thought that one of our locations had a hospital and we lost the baby and the mom. And in that moment, I just spoke out and I said, that's it. We're opening a hospital. And I came back home from Haiti and I told my husband, I said, we're opening a hospital in Haiti. And he was like, Linda, you're not a doctor. You know, you don't know anything about building a hospital. And I was like, I know that's what's going to make it all God. (laughs) With God, nothing is impossible. And, you know, now uh, with the way that things have been in Haiti for the last two years, our hospital for a period of time during COVID was the only hospital in Haiti that remained open for overnight patients. So yeah, pretty incredible.